0: Now, Josiah knows how I feel when I ask you a question. <laughs> we're going to prison where? Was I, yeah, yeah. Wherever, I uh, wherever we go, yeah. Okay. Thanks for helping him out there, Josiah. That was, that was needed. Uh, well, evidently the cold didn't stop you guys from singing or being here. You know, that was good, man. Way to go. The 9 o'clock service was kind of like, I'm not sure if they were actually thawed out by the time they got here, but... Hey, let me, uh, I just want to take a moment and pray. Um, Some of you may know that uh, Sherry Walter uh, went to be with the Lord on Thursday. Um, And then Judy Bastaby, uh, her husband Butch, passed away um, yesterday. Uh, And I know we have other people in our church who are uh, missing loved ones who have passed away, as well as people in our church who are uh, just having some health challenges and all. So I just want to take a moment before we I uh, get into the message here and, and just uh, and pray together. So if you just join me and uh, Lord, want to just recognize the fact that without you we're nothing. Lord, we need you every moment of the day. That you are our life. That you are our breath. At any moment, you can take our breath. And Lord, uh, we also know you've made plainly clear in Scripture that you are the God of comfort, that you are the God of strength, the God of peace. And so, Lord, I I pray for those um, who have lost here recently, especially, uh, Lord, that they would recognize your presence and your power and your comfort in their lives, that they would turn to you, and to experience that. Lord, I pray for those in our church that are struggling with just health issues. It's just that time of year, and some are kind of normal health issues, some are a little bit over and above. And and so, Father, you're a God who heals, and so we ask that you would do that in that process, Lord. I pray that you would work out your desire for spiritual growth within the individuals who are dealing with it, because, again, that's your ultimate goal, is that we become more like Christ through our suffering. And Lord, we'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory, because you deserve it for all that you've done. it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks, I appreciate you letting me do that. Well, grab your Bible or your device. Uh, If you're grabbing the Bible there in the the seats, uh, turn to page 1023. We're going to continue on in Luke. We're in Luke chapter 4 as Luke has uh, investigated who Jesus Christ is and has written this letter to his friend Theophilus. Uh, saying, hey, listen, you've placed your faith in Christ, and and you can be confident. And here's what I've found as I've investigated and talked to eyewitnesses. And so we finished out last week uh, in John 3, and uh, we didn't go all the way through it, but just as kind of a recap, or actually uh, kind of talk about what we didn't talk about last week. uh, In John chapter 3, we have John... There you go. The magic hands are back. Oh, by the way, if you hear some crackling and popping because there's some static electricity going on. So Kim found some static guard. In the, and so we sprayed my pants and around here with static guards. So hopefully we're going to take care of that static. If not, we're in trouble. But um, <clears throat> anyways, my, like, where did you find static guard? We're in a church. Why are we here? Anyways, it's pretty funny. So here's, what, here's how John chapter 3 ended out. John was arrested by Herod. Uh, he was arrested because Herod had an affair and married his brother's wife, and uh, John knew about it, and so John was calling him out for doing that. That was obviously not something he should have been doing. Um, before that happened, though, he was able to baptize Jesus, um, and he did that. Jesus was baptized as an example for all of us. We find out that the Holy Spirit came upon him um, and lit upon him, as it says, like a dove. And again, it wasn't a dove, but the Holy Spirit came and in kind of a visual way so that people could see that because there's, God wanted them to get the message that, that, that Jesus was going to be under the control and power of the Holy Spirit. And then after he's baptized, he came up and God says, hey, I, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And so he confirmed that, he was, um, that Jesus was committed to him. Of course, we know he is what he's, he's doing. is saying, hey, I'm, I'm approving him. But the question is, why would Jesus get baptized? Because you remember, John's baptism was for people to say, hey, I know that I'm, uh, I've sinned against God, and I want God to forgive me my sin. And they were looking ahead to whatever it was, or whoever it was that God was going to send, which would have been their Messiah. And so they were looking ahead at this time, saying, I believe God's going to send somebody who's going to help me have my sins forgiven. I just want everybody to know that, so I'm going to make a, a public profession of that, saying I need for God's forgiveness And then when they do that, they would demonstrate that or show that desire by how they live life. Well, with Jesus, it doesn't make sense really for him to be baptized because he's God. He's perfect. He doesn't have to ask God for forgiveness of his his sin. And so why is he doing that? No sin nature, no need for forgiveness. Well, We'll find out more too. That as we go through this, Jesus is is our example. He's hundred percent man, hundred percent God, and so he's going to be doing some things and going to be acting in some ways uh, as a man, so that we understand how we are to be following after God. So God commanded that, hey, if you want your sins forgiven. Uh, you, you're asking that for that to happen at some point in your future, I just want you to be baptized and then live life in such a way that you're saying you want God's forgiveness. Again, they're looking ahead to Jesus. We do the same thing, but we're looking back on Jesus. And so Jesus, as a man, was going to do what everybody else did, and he was going to be baptized and kind of identify and be the example. I'm going to be obedient. You guys be obedient. The Holy Spirit came upon him because... Jesus was going to allow himself to be under the control of God the Holy Spirit. We know there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus is God the Son. But while on earth, he's not only a representative before God, but he's our example. And so he would obey God by living out his word, Jesus' word, because he is the word, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so he's our example. So how do we live life? We obey God by living out Jesus' word, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so he's our example. And today we're going to look at another um, place where he is demonstrating himself to be an example for us. And it's in the area where Satan is going to tempt him to sin. Right? So who here would love to know how it is to battle successfully against the temptation to sin? Anybody interested in that? Knowing that? Okay. Most of you are. Some of you guys don't give a rip. That's fine. You know, whatever. Uh, you know, I'm not here to pressure anybody. Uh, I'll just give you information. And you can run with it. So we're going to read here a couple of verses uh, to get things rolling. John chapter or, uh, Luke chapter 4. Uh, he says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, again, where he was baptized. So you see the star there and John baptized Jesus. Most likely Jesus was down there. There's some debate on it, but He's probably most likely down there and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. Now, if you along that blue line there, the Jordan River, both sides, that's wilderness. And so when we hear wilderness, it's not just kind of walking around in a a little circle. He's probably, according to Luke 4.14, he's probably being led by the Holy Spirit, working his way up north to Galilee, which you see up there, top of the screen. So this was happening for 40 days. He was being tempted by the devil. That word "tempted" means either it's a, it's um, it's amoral in the sense that it can mean good or bad. So if it's for testing to for growth, it's a good thing. If it's to attempt to sin, it's a bad thing. And of course, the context here is that he's tempting him to sin. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they had they had ended those days had ended, he beca- he became hungry. Now did some reading on this. Uh, you know, I've done some fasting in my life and you know, maybe a meal here or a meal there or a uh, couple times It did a full day type of thing. But Jesus was for, uh, fasting for 40 days. And so what they say is within the first three or four days you start losing your hunger pains. But if you continue on and you get into like the 40th day, you your hunger pains come back with a vengeance. I mean, it's just like this is, so Jesus, he's beyond the, hey, give me a Snickers at 3 o'clock to, so I can get over to the dinner at 5 o'clock. This is way beyond the Snicker routine. This is Jesus, because again, he's man. This is Jesus feeling the effects of not having had food for 40 days. And so he's weak. He's tired. His brain is probably a little foggy. You know, if you go without food... For a while, you, you kind of have this fog that you're kind of... I mean, I live in a fog, but that's besides the point. He's, he's got it because of his not eating. And his emotions are probably right You know, under the surface. And, and right then and there, and actually during this whole time, Satan is tempting him. So I, I got a few questions. Again, this is just me. I mean, I'm reading it. I'm asking some questions. So my first one is, why does God allow Satan to harass Jesus for 40 days. It wasn't just the three that we're going to look at. It says here that that throughout his time, being led by the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit takes Jesus out into the wilderness where Jesus is having this intense time of worshiping God. And then he says, oh yeah, here, by the way, I'm going to allow Satan to come around and harass you, to tempt you. Now, just a little theological um, lesson here for you. Jesus is what theologians would call impeccable. What that means is that as a human being, he had a perfect human nature, and as God, his divine nature would not allow his human nature to sin. So he was impeccable. So Satan, which it will go to my second question, but before I get there, so Satan is going to tempt Jesus to sin, but Jesus would not have, could not have sinned because God, his, his divi- uh, divinity, would have stopped his humanity. So, so why did he do it? Why did God allow it? Well, first of all, in all of this, again, example, or he did it for us, so that we would know that he knows what it feels like to be tempted. Because again, Jesus is a man. He's human. And just because he's also God doesn't mean he doesn't have the human pressure, the human um, emotions even, and, and uh, just feeling that pressure to do what it is that we would be tempted to do. And he did it for us to show us how to defeat temptation. He he's gives us the plan for how to do that. And that's what God tells us in, in Hebrews chapter 4. It says that, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. In other words, let's live out our lives what we say we are trusting God. You know, we say, God, I trust God for my eternity, which means I trust Him for my earthly life, and so let's live that out. Let's hold fast to that confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus knows the pressure. He understands when we go through tempt- temptation because he went through the same temptation. It's interesting. We know temptation primarily because of our our flesh. You know, our, we have a sinful nature, uh, and I'm sure there's some you know spiritual impact because. God's Word says that, but I think primarily here in the United States, I've mentioned this before, our temptation is primarily our flesh wanting to be the king of our lives. Jesus needed to have Satan because he had no sinful flesh, and so Satan had to be the one coming to him. But anyways, for we do not have, I'm sorry, therefore, because he understands us, and he has shown us how, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy, that is, not getting what we deserve and find grace getting what we don't deserve to help in a time of need now in this case it's so that we won't sin and so i know christians i've heard this i just don't feel like you know i've sinned i messed up and i don't feel like i can even pray to god listen god is telling you come to the throne of grace (laughs) you're if you place your faith in christ you go before him in christ not in you So go before Him in Christ, the grace, the gift that God has given you, the forgiveness of sins, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. Get before God and do what God's called you to do. Why? Because Jesus Christ is a sympathetic and successful defender. He will give you what you need. He'll provide whatever it is that you need. He knows what you're going through. Now, here's the deal. We can believe that, or we can say, no, I believe what we just read there is a lie. In other words, I believe God's lying to me. It's up to us to make the decision. God doesn't force us to trust Him. Either we believe what He says is true, especially, again, we say we believe He's going to take us to heaven one day, Well, if we believe he can do that greater, eternal, infinitely powerful thing, then he should be able to handle whatever's going on in our lives. But you make the choice. Is God lying? Or is he telling the truth? Can you trust him? Because you say you trust him for eternity. Or not? The other question I have is, why does Satan think Jesus, because again, he knows he's God, why does he think Jesus will give in to him? Well the answer, pure and simple, is he's arrogant. Satan's walking around thinking, No, actually I'm God. I've got this. I've got this life under control. In fact, he believes this lies so much he thinks it's truth. He thinks he can actually manipulate God. We're gonna find out. He thinks he can use Jesus' words, twist them a little bit, and fake Jesus out. Oh wow, the arrogance of that. But sadly, it's exactly what you and I do every time we sin. Every time we choose to do it our way and not God's way. We're being just like Satan. We're being just as arrogant. We're thinking that we can outmaneuver God. and God will still continue to do whatever it is that we want to do in our lives despite us doing what he's asked us to do. And again, I'm talking to people who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and God's forgiven them of sins and they have a relationship with him and the Holy Spirit's in their life you got to get to that point first. And we show that if we don't believe and we do it our way, we show that by our lives. Our lives are all in turmoil, and our lives are anxious and fearful. And, and so, anyways, so Satan shows his arrogance, and he's going to continue to show his arrogance. And so let's work through these three. Uh, examples that Luke gives us of the temptation that Jesus was having for 40 days. And the devil said to him, if, that this is what the Greek calls a first-class conditional, so it's actually sin, since you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now the word tell is an aorist imperative, which means Satan is commanding Jesus to make that stone into bread and do it now. I want it, and I want it Now. All right, so then Jesus, he says, shing, pulls out the sword. It is written, man shall not live, and woman shall not live on bread alone. He goes back to Deuteronomy to give him that information. See, Satan knows that humans are motivated by meeting their physical need. Our physical needs... And I could probably broaden that. It could be our physical, emotional, mental needs. We are motivated, first and foremost, to have those needs met. We'll do anything in our power to have those needs met. We'll go out on a below zero day and make sure we have breakfast. Right? I mean, we are, we are fully focused on making sure our needs are met. And so, Satan shows up, Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. His hunger has returned with a vengeance. Jesus is weak, and he's tired, and he's hungry, and and all that. And he goes, ha ha, I got him. I'm going to, because Jesus is human, he's going to give in, just like all the other humans do. And so I'm going to tell him, hey, meet your physical need. So that's the temptation here. Put your physical needs and really all your needs ahead of obeying God. In this case, it's physical. Because So what he's insinuating is that God isn't going to meet Jesus' need. It's actually even more sinister than that. Satan's saying, hey, I know you're obeying God. I know you're worshiping God and you're in this intense worship time where you're fasting even in order to just commit yourself to God. In spite of that, even in your obedience, God isn't going to meet your needs. Wow. Now, is there anything wrong with Jesus, on any general day, meeting his physical needs? Even if you needed to turn a stone into to bread. I mean, I've eaten bread that tastes like a stone, but to move a stone and make it bread, any kind of given day, would that be a problem? No. Right, we're we're commanded, you know, to do things in order to meet our needs, to meet our family needs. Of course, it's coming from God, but it is if it's disobeying God. Think about that. To meet our physical needs is a sin if we are disobeying God in the process. Yes. Because to do so, is to say, no, in spite of what God's telling me to do, and despite the fact that he says he's going to meet my needs if I do life his way, he may not be on my time period. You know, he's, he's kind of slow, and I want things moving a little more quickly. I want my breakfast, and I want it now. So I'm going to do it myself. For me doing that is saying that need, whatever it is, is more important than God. For Jesus to do that would be to say that that need was more important than God. He'd be saying, I don't trust God. I don't trust God's provision, I don't trust God's timing. And so to meet a need outside of how God commands, that's sin. And so Jesus pulls out the truth that he had Moses tell Israel back in Deuteronomy 8, and the context there is that Israel was going to be going into the promised land, and God doesn't want them to forget that he is the one who provided for them in the desert, in the wilderness, and as they go into the land and get everything that God says they're going to get, it's still Him providing it. He gave them the land, He gave them everything they needed in the land, and so it's still going to be God. And so He's saying, hey, listen, you can't live by bread alone. In other words, there's more to this world than just meeting our physical needs. The hearing that, most people go, you've got to be whacked out. You cannot be in your right mind. What's more important? than having my family put food on the table. If I don't put food on the table, we're going to starve. What's more important than making sure that I have my bills paid, that I have heat in my home, that I have water coming in my home, that I have electricity in my home? Some of you guys may not have electricity in your home this morning. I hope that comes back on soon. I thank each and every one of you who uh, give in our church because... Because we give, we have lights on, we have heat going, and we thank the Lord for that. I thank you for that. See, the downside of living in our world, in our, our country, is that everything is at our fingertips. God has blessed our country so that we have farmers who produce like crazy. We have stores who put stuff in and We have big things of cheese puffs that we can go buy, and we can sit and just eat those until we're all orange. And we think, hey, we're great, man. Our our country supplies, and, and we're doing such a great job taking care of all. We're, I, 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 me, me, and that's not us. It's God allowing that to happen. Knowing and obeying God is the most important part of this world. Why? Well, Psalm 24 says everything that we have is actually God's. The world is the Lord's and everything in it. Do you believe it? Really? Everything? Yeah. Genesis 2.15. It's been given to us to manage as He commands. Matthew 6.33. Do it His way and you'll have your needs met. These are, these are promises and teaching from God. So let's just take a, a need that we, we all probably have. And, and any other needs that you come to mind, you can wrestle with these at home. Let's just talk about money. Okay, let's just throw that out here real quick. So what has God commanded us who are followers of Christ? What has God commanded us? Don't answer all, I'll just kind of think about it. Um, that God has commanded us, whether you're married or single or a man or a woman, a child or an adult, because everything else kind of flows from these. I, w- I always talk about the four things. I have to confess I've been leading you astray. There's actually five. Um. some of you oh, no, it's one more. Oh, why can't it be three? (laughs) God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, There would be three things. You know, anyways, just five things. So the first one, time with God and His Word. The Bible commands that, that we would spend, and I would say, daily time in God's Word with Him. Secondly, weekly connecting and worshiping with your church family. Third, Serving your church family, the one that I've missed, and I apologize. Giving financially to your church, that's commanded in Scripture. And then sharing the gospel, those five things. If you're doing those five things, working on those five things, I'm not saying you're perfect. None of us are, but you're working on those five things. Everything else is going to fall in place. You're going to be a better husband, a better wife, a better child, a better parent, a better employee. You're going to be working, and and you're moving towards spiritual maturity. You're not perfect, but you're moving towards that. So, is it wrong for us, knowing those five things, is it wrong for us to work and make money? And all God's people said, no. No. No, we're commanded. That was by home church. The pastor goes in. All God's people said, and like, "Amen." <clears throat> Anyways, no, it's commanded all the way back in Genesis two. We're supposed to work. God's given it's a it's a holy jo- thing to do. It's it's worshiping God if we're if we're working according to the way He says to work. And so, no, there's there's nothing wrong. It's commanded. But when does work and money become sin? Well, it becomes sin when we reject those five things or we neglect our spouse or we neglect our children. It becomes sin when we go, oh my word, I've got bills to pay and so I need to work more and more and more and more. I need to get more and more jobs in order to pay my bills. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. God will provide. But I need to do these things. I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to come to church. I don't have time to serve at church. I don't have time to give. I can't give money to church because I got to pay my bills and I don't have time to share Christ and I'm too busy working. I'm sorry, honey. I'm sorry, babe. I'm sorry, kids. You have to do without me. Because I'm busy. I'm doing the Lord's work. No, you're not. God meets your needs when you do life God's way. See, we we have a tendency, we mismanage what God's given us, we buy things that aren't really needs. Because why well we're well we, we, we deserve it we we're building our kingdom, and I, and I have to say this, and some some, may, some of you guys may not like this, but Ohio decided to legalize gambling, and so I have people ask me I've had people ask me for years, is gambling sin? Well, you know the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not gamble, but think about it, your stuff in your world that you've You have. Is it yours or God's? If you really believe that, are you willing because you want more money? You want the thrill of chance to take what God's given you and put it on chance where they're going to let you win a little bit until they get you and then you're going to lose and lose God's money? doesn't make sense. That's not what God wants us to do. Everything we have is God. It's God's. It's been given to us to manage it, to build his kingdom, to draw people to Christ, to help our family grow, to do what it is that God calls us to do for his purposes and not ours. So obviously, this wasn't working, so Satan said, okay, let me try a different angle here. So he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me. Let me ask you something. Truth or lie? Truth. God says he's handed over the world to Satan. And I give it to whomever I wish, true or false? False. False. God allows him to have the power he has. He can't do anything unless God says it's okay. Therefore, because I've lied to you, if you worship before me, it shall be yours. Everything in this world could be Jesus. Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And again, he goes back to Deuteronomy. Satan's arrogance Twisting scripture, taking a little truth and wrapping it with some lies, thinking he's going to manipulate Jesus, he's going to outsmart Jesus, the guy who spoke the words. <laughs> Again, strange. When Satan is saying to him, hey, listen, I know you're going to get the world, but let me, let me just, let me help you out. Let me, let me make it so it's easy for you. See, you want to do it God's way, it's hard. You're gonna to have to live with these crummy people. I mean, you've already had to, and you got three more years of walking around, and religious leaders are gonna be nipping at your heels, and people are gonna eh, heal me, heal me. I'm just so sick. And then at the end you're gonna be like You die in a cross. They're gonna slap you and smack you and spit on you and put a crown of thorns on you and shove a spare up your side, you're going to put it on a cross, you know, blood, and it's going to be miserable for you. Man, you don't want that. I mean, just worship me. I'll make it easy. The word worship means to show one's complete dependence on, or someone's submission to somebody else. In other words, he's saying, hey, listen, just depend on me. I got you. I got you covered. I'll make it so you don't have to worry, and I'll give you the world. The problem is, even if if Satan could give him the world, he would only give him the world, the physical world. What's God promising? God says, I'm going to give you the physical world and the spiritual world. There's going to be a, coming, a a time in the future where Jesus is reigning over the whole new heaven and a whole new earth. So then, Jesus brings out Deuteronomy 6.13, and the context there is, Israel, when they go into the land, they're going to be tempted to do life the way the the people in the land did life. They're going to follow their gods and, and do life that way and not do it God's way. But they need to commit to worship him through obeying and serving him. In fact, Jesus says you are to only worship and serve God. In Scripture, worshiping and serving are always together for us who are followers of Jesus Christ. You can't worship God and not serve him, and you can't serve without actually worshiping him. If you're serving because you want to obey God, that's, that's worship. Again, it's to show complete dependence on. Serving is to do what God commands in the act of worship. It's, you know, in the Old Testament, it's connected with the priests who were doing their job serving in the temple to help people worship. And so it's connected. And his worship of God was, he was a suffering servant. He had to go through that suffering in order to bring us salvation. So what does your life show about where, who you're worshiping or what you're worshiping? Are you looking for an easier route to what God wants to do in your life? See, what God wants to do in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. What you've committed to doing is you becoming more like Christ. God working in your life challenging you and challenging how you think and how you respond so you, be, you think and respond more like Jesus. And it's through worshiping Him, through depending on Him, through, through serving Him that this work is accomplished. You can do it Satan's way, or which today is kind of like doing our way. It's not easier. You think you can get the whole world? You can shoot for it, but life's hard. It's difficult. And when we try to do it our way, when we try to do it the way Satan says we should do it, it's destruction every time. But we want to do it God's way? Life's hard. The difference is when we do it God's way, He's at work in and through us. He is growing us. He's giving us life. He's making us more like Christ. See, worship isn't just a Sunday morning thing where there's music going on and we're like, I want to go to worship today. You can worship in a church service, but you could also not worship. You could be here, and you could have just, you know, just a tingling sensation, goosebumps on, and the music's going, and Josiah and the band's up here, and you're like, oh, love this. Your hand could be raised, you could be crying, and it not be worship. Because it's just something you've got emotionally working inside of you. You're not focused on the Lord. Now, of all that going on, and you're focusing on God, how awesome He is, and the words, and and what he's done for you this past week, and how God's been working in your life, and that's worship. But so is sitting here listening to me speak, which that's suffering for Jesus. I get it. Some of you guys are thinking, the football game on today? He's going to go long. we got communion at the end. Oh, my word, Harold, don't you realize, Packers? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. I just got lightheaded. I'm fine. I'm fine if you were worrying. I'm fine. That's not worship. But if you're sitting here and you're fighting that, and you're like, God, help me to focus in here. because uh, Just focus in. God, help me to focus in. That's worship. But if you're not even in this room, and you are back with the kids, and you've been back with the kids for a month, and you're like, no, I need to be here because God wants me to be here, and these kids need me to be here, that's worship. Worship is our life. Worship is us saying, God, everything I do from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed, and even while I'm waking up in the middle of the night, I want my heart and my mind focused on you. I want to do life the way you want me to do. I'm not saying we're perfect at it, but we keep working at it. Then the final temptation. So he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple about 450 feet up in the air. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, if, since you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. Again, another command. And then Satan's like, Shing! You can use the Bible, I can use the Bible. He will command his angels concerning you. Here's a promise from God He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. Dot, dot, dot. And their hands, and on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot. Against a stone. God's promise if you do this, he'll he'll save you. And Jesus said and answered and said to him, which by the way, I did a real quick search on this. It's, it's basically saying it is written again, but so you know, so this thing of like two ching 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 on God, you know. So Jesus is back out ah, oh, uh, and Jesus answered and said to him. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Wow. When Bela had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. Luke is really good. You know, I write it, an opportune time. Satan's going to come back. So, there's nothing wrong with asking God to prove himself to us, right? Is it wrong to ask God to prove himself to us? You're like, oh, Harold, it's cold outside, now we've got to think. In and of itself, no, right? Because God says, hey, do this, and I'll meet your needs. And so we have to take a step of faith and do that, To watch him meet our needs. And so we do that and we meets our needs and he proves himself to us. And then that proving causes us to trust him more and on and on and on, right? We keep doing that. We keep trusting him more and more. What makes this a sin if Jesus were to do this? If if God said, Jesus, jump off the pinnacle, and he did, sin or not a sin? Not a sin, because Jesus told him, or God told him to do it, right? Satan tells him to do it. Sin, because God didn't tell him to do it. It's interesting, if you read those verses, Satan, once again, leaves off something like he always does it says he will guard you in all your ways the context of psalm 91 is a person who's following jesus or following god someone who's obeying god if you obey god he's going to guard and protect you if you disobey god he has no obligation if jesus that we would have done it but if jesus did do that god would have no obligation to protect him because God's not going to meet our needs, provide for us, meet His promises for us to continue to sin. He's not a God who goes, okay, here you go. I want you to destroy yourself. Here's everything you need. No, He's going to, no, I'm not going to, you don't get any of that. You get back on track and do life my way so you're growing and there's life and people are being impacted and, you know, you're owing me better. No, I'm going to give you everything you need. So, this would have been sin. So Jesus says to him don't put don't put God to this te- to the test. That word there is actually different, but very similar. Don't prove, don't cause him to prove himself. In other words, don't disobey, and then act act as if oh no, well God needs to provide for me because I'm I know I'm disobeying, but you know God he'll he'll take care of me. He'll he'll be good to go. So let's let's look at this real quick. So. Is there an area in your life, I don't want to hear it, you just, your heart, is an area in your life where you're saying, I don't think I'm really doing this God's way, but you're expecting Him to meet your needs? For instance, like a relationship. Maybe you're you're wanting to get married, you know, and so you're looking around dating different people. And so God says in Scripture, 2 Corinthians 6, that you're not to be unequally yoked, you're not to be marrying a non-believer, but you're going out and you're dating non-believers, which... You're dating for marriage. And so you're, you're dating, and you're like, God, help me to get to know this person. Help, you know, bless our relationship. That's, you're going against what God said to do. Or if you marry somebody. I, I know people have done this. I, I know that God's going to bring them to him. And I could tell you about a number of people who thought that, and to this day still haven't seen it happen. And so, or you're, you're involved in a relationship, and, and maybe even you're both believers, but you're involved sexually outside of marriage. God, just help us to connect. Nah. I've been watching Duck Dynasty recently. Nah. He's not going to continue, he's not going to give you what you need to destroy yourself. Maybe it's your finances. And maybe it's your mental health. Maybe it's some other area. And you're just not doing it God's way. And you keep asking God to meet your needs. And God's like, I can't. You're, you're going to keep going down that road and hurt yourself. Don't put God to the test. Obey Him in each and every area. Ask Him to give you an understanding of where it is that you're off track. Say, God, help me to get back on track. And then let me see you meet my needs. So the takeaways, I just got these uh, four things real quickly, and then we're going to celebrate communion, and then we'll head on out into, into the cold. Or you can hang out here if you want. It's, it's warm. Um, the first one is this. So this is, all comes from what Jesus was going on with Jesus. So it says that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And so if, if we want to have success in our lives and see God move in our lives, the first thing we have to do is have the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so that comes with us placing our faith in Jesus Christ. When we, when we say, God, please forgive me my sin, and I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin, God forgives us of our sin, and then he seals that, Ephesians chapter 1 talks about, he seals that decision with God the Holy Spirit. So then God the Holy Spirit's in our life. He doesn't go anywhere. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And so then we have him in our life. And for those of us who've made that decision, then the next thing is we must know God's word. You got to be be able to discern. You see how little things that Satan did, little twists, little you know. Well, we got to know God's word. We got to know what's the truth and what's a, what's a lie. We got the grow class coming up in February, February third. Less than three hours of your time and it's something good to eat, and we're going to talk about how you, how do you know God's word? How do you study God's word? How do you get God's word into your heart, into your mind? And just challenge you to. Church Center at HawaiiGrace.com Events Northwood. Sign up for that. Then you must use God's word. Shing. You know, a lot of times we'll go up against our temptations in and of ourselves. No, 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 I'm not going to think about it, 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 And what are we doing? We're thinking about it, right? I'm just talking from personal experience. So we need to use God's word. We need to understand God's word. We need to know how to Ching. God's Word. And then we must allow the Holy Spirit to empower us. We ask for His power. He's in us, but He's not going to force Himself on us. We say, God, p- Holy Spirit, please just give me the strength. Give me the words from that I've read in Scripture and help me to use those against what I'm thinking is truth. And as we do that, we'll find ourselves winning. Not in our strength, but in the power of God. Well, we want to close with communion this morning and uh, talk about that hard work that jesus did and when he died on the cross we want to celebrate that god's commanded us to do that and so we want to be a church that does that we we do it five times a year or so it says whenever you do it do this and so that's we've chosen to do some churches do it every week some people do it some churches do it less but let me just uh if you don't have one if you just go ahead and let me do this first. If you've, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I would challenge you to do that right here, right now, and that is just have that conversation with him. Um, but if you have not, and you're like, yeah, I'm not really interested at this point, then we just ask you to, to not take communion, because this is only for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. One of the only things, besides the first-time attender is not giving, that we ask people not to partake in. And if you need one, um, Kim's in the back, put your hand up, she'll... Bring you one, if not. Oh, you guys are good. He saw that. You're getting used to it, having you there on the side and grabbing it on your way in. Um, this is also uh, not something just for people who are members of Grace Point. Uh, so if you are a member of God's family, if you've placed your faith in Christ, we want to encourage you to take this with us as we are all part of God's family. Um, it also teaches us to take a moment and just kind of prepare our hearts. And so I'm going to give you, you know, about 30 seconds or so just... For you to kind of get your hearts and minds focused on on God and what Christ has done for you and ask, maybe even confess sin that might be in your life. Um, And just get your heart right. And then I'll do some reading. We'll partake together, do some more reading, partake together. And we'll close in prayer. So just take about 30 seconds and just between you and the Lord. Heavenly Father, just thank you so much for the words that we've heard from your word today. And Lord, as we think about the hard work that Jesus did, the sacrificial work that he did for us, we just want to take time and be obedient, as you've called us to do, to remember his sacrifice for us. So, Lord, we give this time as well to you as an act of worship. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus... On the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. Lord, we're so so thankful for, for what Christ did for us. That we couldn't remove the sin That we had, but you chose. He volunteered to become human, to be our representative. I'm so thankful for that. And said in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, "This is this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance." of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take it together. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll close in prayer. (sighs) Heavenly Father, as we look at heading out and getting into our, our week, I pray, Father, that these words would resonate in our hearts and our minds, and that we would trust you, that we would seek you, that we would obey you, despite what we might think, what we may want to do, the rationalizations we'd throw up, the arguments that we give, and that we would live life as you've called us to live, and watch you do your work. Give us patience as you work. Let us, help us to give you the time to work in our lives and other people's lives and situations. and Lord, we'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for being here. Have a great rest of the week. And we'll see you Wednesday at 7.